Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best tech leaders in the world to help you scale from 2 million ARR to 100 million ARR. Today, we have a very special guest. His name is Sangram Vashr, uh, the co-founder of Terminus. Sangram, am I pronouncing well your name? <laughs> you got it, man. Uh, I'm trying to go for just one name like the Beyonce, so like Sangram, <laughs> and people remember. It's not working out, but I, I still try to go for it. <laughs> That's amazing. So it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much for, for making the time. Thank you so much for having me, man. Always fun chatting with you. And uh, yeah, let's get to know a little bit more about yourself and how did you went uh, starting up Terminus? Yeah, well, I mean, so for folks who don't know, uh, just quick background, I ran marketing at Pardot and then was acquired, our company got acquired by Salesforce. Um, so you know, for like, I think the exact target acquisition. So we were like $2.7 billion. That was a really big MarTech acquisition at that time, like about uh, almost almost 10 years ago now. And uh-huh. um, I, I was at, at Salesforce for two years and that really helped shape my understanding of what scaling means, what oh, what a brand means, uh, because it literally went from a hundred people company to this iconic brand, uh, Salesforce, in a matter of like, you know, six months of the acquisition. So it was really, really crazy. So spent two years there and then co-founded Terminus. And now we're about uh, about 250 people uh, based here in Atlanta, San Francisco, and uh, Indianapolis. So it's, it's a lot of really growth on both sides of the house. And um, a lot to, to me, it's like the market and the timing is really, really good. Um, it's been really interesting to see how account-based marketing has actually become a thing. Um, and in the last five years, I ended up writing uh, two books on marketing uh, with the one latest being ABM is B2B. So a lot of really interesting things, but I don't know if that helps as an introduction. Absolutely. And uh, let me share the story with the audience. I've been following Terminus for quite a long time. I even introduced it, uh, what you are doing and your thought leadership to one of the companies that we work with, which is in Babel, that mm. also have offices in, in the Valley, in Lisbon, London, New York, uh, etc. And I was following your uh, posts on LinkedIn and on your new newsletter, and I was completely amazed with with the content. And I, I decided I needed to have you on on the show. And here you are. <laughs> so you're you're actually reading the Becoming Intentional newsletter. That's exactly that's what I recommend for for the audience who is listening us. Uh, you should really uh, subscribe that that newsletter and just go. Yeah, to, it's it's fun, man. Well, thanks for doing that because. It's really interesting. To be very honest, I feel like most people are starting to treat marketing, especially if you're in B2B, um, almost like boring to boring is what I call it. And (laughs) as opposed to making it blockbuster to blockbuster. So I think B2B people have just assumed it sounds for boring to boring and it's not, it shouldn't be. It should be a lot more exciting. So I'll, and I, I see a lot of posts and it's all kinds of, data or data sheets or case studies and whatnot. And I've just started over the last two years, I just started to share stories. Um, and, and now in the Becoming Intentional newsletter, which is a LinkedIn only thing, um, it's it has over 8,000 people now subscribed to it. It's just a month that I've started doing that. And it's literally, I created two fictitious characters, Sally and Joey having yeah. a conversation about it. And that's it. And it's so interesting that people are tuned into that that um, no amount, I mean, I don't, I have done companies before, I've done blogs before, nothing, nothing gave me organic 8,000 subscribers in a month, nothing. 
So it was really interesting to see how psychology and mind works. And if you have been starting uh, four weeks ago, you you see how quick <laughs> yeah. I invited you to come to the show. So it's it's yeah. quite it's quite amazing. Uh, well done. And uh, in terms of uh, getting to what where are you in terms of the stage of growth of Terminus? Uh, yeah, regards of funding rounds, headcounts. Uh, if right. You can, if you are going from five to 10 or 10 to 20 million ARR. So yeah. where, where are you in the, in the growth? Uh, so the stuff that I can share and the stuff yeah. that I can't share. So yeah. the stuff I can share because it's all public, it's all out there. So Terminus, um, you start, we started as three co-founders in 2015 um, and we we're about 250 people as I shared earlier. Um, we hit a million in revenue the first year when we started uh, in 2016. Well then the next year we hit five and the next year uh, we hit 10. So those are the first three wow. years of just being out there. And since then, we have acquired two companies, Bright Funnel in uh, two years ago, and then Sixter, uh, some people might know about Sixter, is a really amazing email marketing, uh, mm -hmm. not email marketing, email signature pla platform company. So we just acquired them uh, in December. So with two more acquisitions, well, I think, they, I mean, you can just extrapolate from that. Like we are definitely growing. We're about 250 people now. And, and we have raised two rounds, Series A, Series B, I would say roughly about 25 million. And uh, we'll probably raise Series C um, or something else that will happen um, yeah. in uh, this year. So it's been a really interesting and exciting five years with lots of ups and tremendous amount of downs in that, in that five-year period. And that's amazing to, to get from zero to, to 10 million in, in three years. That's, that's really world-class. Uh, and also uh, with such uh, a frugal amount of uh, fundraising, which is also a very good uh, in terms of what we start seeing now, a trend of hyper growth and uh, yeah. uh, raising a lot of funds and, and another trend of the base camp founders saying we should, go, uh, we should grow a little bit slower without so much capital involved. Um, the, by the way, I, I introduced you to, to the triple two double three time uh, rule from one of the partners of uh, Battery Ventures that says mm -hmm. that, let's say after product market fit, and they would say to millionaire R, if you triple two times from two to six and six to 18, and then double three times from 18 to 36, 36 to 72, and 72 to 100 million plus, which is 144 to be more precise, in five years, you would um, you would match the patterns of companies like Salesforce, DocuSign, uh, ServiceNow, uh, etc. So, what do you think about tripling and doubling uh, every single year? I think that that's you already almost uh, answered because you, you did that, uh, or you you did more than that in yeah. the first three years of the company. <laughs> it's a it's a hard question, and I'll tell you why. I, I think there is. When I think about companies like Salesforce or HubSpot or Terminus, I put them in a different category because we, we all have tried to build build a different, almost different category. Like Salesforce created the sales category out there, the cloud mm -hmm. computing stuff. HubSpot created the inbound movement and there are 20,000 people. So, so you really think about it like Salesforce started, they created this movement. Um, there are about, I don't know, about 100, 150,000 people attend Dreamforce, right? HubSpot created a movement around inbound. They created inbound and about 20,000 people attend that conference and they're continuing to grow. 
Terminus created Flip My Funnel to get the ABM movement going. And there are over like a thousand people attend. We've done about 10 conferences in the last few years and it continues to grow in multiple different cities and chapters and all that kind of stuff. And when I look at that, I feel like that is a, uh, a blueprint for category creation where you're not focused as much on the product market fit. You're, you're actually focused on problem market fit. So you have created enough awareness in the market about the problem because before Salesforce, nobody talked about what Salesforce was talking about, right? About no software and all that stuff. Before HubSpot, nobody was talking about inbound and that's why they had to invest in the community. As a matter of fact, mm -hmm. HubSpot is an investor in Terminus and I spent time with the, the founders of HubSpot, Brian and Dermesh, and they said that, hey, look, we want to do this because this is our most amazing thing we did because with, if somebody wants to compete with HubSpot today, they'll have to build a community of 20,000 people that are raving yeah. fans of us before they compete on our product feature and stuff. So it's just really mind blowing to, to kind of think about. So I feel like I think we need to distinguish between if you're creating a category, it, you need to focus a lot more on the problem, a lot more on the community, um, have that community first mm -hmm. mindset almost, and go about it that way. And I think that if you do it right, it's a hard thing to do. It's you know, it's probably the probably the hardest thing. I don't want to do that again. If I if I get to do it again, <laughs> I, I don't know if I want to build a category because it's hard. It, it takes a lot more. And we were quite frankly lucky to be at the right place at the right time to harness this this energy around that um, because it happened every five ten years. If you think about it. inbound happened ten years ago, ABM happened five years ago, like Salesforce happened fifteen years ago. So. It needs to have enough time in the same category for a new evolution of that to happen. Right. Opposed to that are other companies like ServiceNow and others who've done really, really, really well, but they're not trying to create a new category. They, mm -hmm. they now can because their customer, the product is sticky. They, the product is what it is. And, and people want that. They're solving a real problem in a real way in many different areas. So they got a niche. They know they can solve that problem and they just explode it like crazy because that didn't exist before. So I would uh, caution people to think about, forget the numbers for a second. Are you trying to create a problem market fit organization? Because that's going to take mm -hmm. some time, a different muscle, a different set of people, a different way of numbering, looking at, and that might result into numbers like we had, but not always there or you are a product-led company, product-first company, which means you know very well exactly what you're doing because Salesforce, HubSpot, Terminus, I tell you, none of us knew exactly what we were doing day one. <laughs> we figured it out, but we cared a lot about the problem. That was the right. difference. And there are other companies who just know like Superhuman, the email thing. I just had the CEO of Superhuman on the Flip My Phone podcast. And he said, look, he spent two years perfecting the product before getting it out there because he knew that he wanted them, it, that he just, just believed in the product. He didn't have to create a community. Now the customers are the community. So I, I just wanted to give that as a disclaimer. Are you creating a problem market fit or a product market fit company? That's a, an amazing way to, to explain it. Very, very interesting. So we always cover in the show the free the, the the ingredients that we consider critical to scale, which are free. Number one is radical focus. Number two is world-class leadership. And number three is a contrarian culture of execution. Mm -hmm. uh, so starting with the first one, uh, and I think that's sometimes we that that's how we lost after raising Series A and and sometimes even Series B or even Series C, we see uh, founders trying to go to a lot of geos at the same time. 
serving multiple verticals, going mid-market enterprise and everything else, and going to long tail and uh, yeah. serving all, all the customers. Uh, and we need to understand to start articulating the long-term, the mid-term and the short-term milestone after milestone and being obsessively focused on one milestone at a time. So how do you ensure that you drive those kind of radical, that kind of radical focus at, at Terminus uh, as you grow? Yeah, that's a good, great question. I love the phrase radical focus. Um, <laughs> I've used radical candor, I've used like, radical fanatical support um, and, and uh, radical focus. Like how hyper do you need to be focused? Um, I think there's, Peter Drucker in his book, How to Be an Effective Leader or How to Be Effective Executive, yeah. he, he said that most people that he surveyed at that time uh, and it's really interesting. It's stuck in my brain even today, and hopefully I'll never lose that. He said that it, they literally would have one big priority that they're focused on. And if they're really good, they have two. And I was like, what? what? I, got, I got a list of like 500 <laughs> things to do. Like, what are you talking about? But it really made, it made sense. Is like they just ignore everything else and they just start focusing. And, and it doesn't mean the organization is not focused. But as a leader, you have to figure out what is the one big thing you're going to do. So I remember like in the first year or so, our focus was building the category. So we invited the competitors to be as part of our conference and speak at our conference. We um, still don't have a, uh, have a keynote about our product. We still are a booth just like every other thing. So we did stuff which are contrarian to everything that most conferences are. We didn't create a user conference. We still don't have a user conference. We have a, a, a category conference where we invite all of our competitors to speak and, and did because we believe that is better way to create narrative and market movement. So, so in a way, that was our focus at that time and that continued to be the one big thing that we are still known for and do well and we don't want to lose that. And then as we shifted, we started to hire really, really, really good people to, to, who are really good at customer success or really good at sales or really good at marketing, like let them own it and, and go crazy on that. That's a very good point. And you introduced the world-class leadership component, uh, which if, if you solve that one, you even solve the first one and the third one. As you said, if you are an amazing executive and if you have an amazing team, they will be radically focused and they will have yeah. an amazing, they will build an amazing culture of uh, execution for, for the company. Uh, but we know that from two to 100 million, we might have seven different companies uh, along mm -hmm. the way. We will need seven different founders, seven different CEOs and seven different leadership teams. And hopefully some of those people will evolve from one company to another. So they will be recruited for the second company and for the third company, for the fourth company. And uh, I prefer the term to be recruited instead of to be fired or to move on. Uh, so they are recruited. That's a good again. one. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> I think it's, uh, we'll have also on the show, Nick Meta, the CEO of Gainsight yeah. uh, later in the month. And he has a very good article at the end of the year about this. So the CEO of uh, Gainsight, was fired, uh, let me explain. I, I made what would be the profile of, of the CEO of Gainsight for next year, and I applied again to be the CEO, and they accepted me to, to keep us as the CEO of Gainsight. And I, I yeah, this, this is an amazing way to put things yes. and, and to have different ads to help us think with much more uh, perspective um, about the problem. 
Um, what, what is your experience uh, with this? So uh, having someone yeah. in the team who, who, the, who has given so much value to the company mm -hmm. that might not be the right fit for the next yeah. stage of the company. And emotions- It happens all the time. Happens all the time. And I will say I'm the first person to do that, right? So I'm obviously the co-founder. So that's thankfully that title doesn't go away no matter what you do and how much you screw <laughs> up. It stays with me for the rest of my life. Uh, but uh, I was also the CMO uh, and had marketing okay. sales and customer success reporting to me. And two years ago, I got I, I, you know stripped out of it because I wasn't good enough to do that job anymore. We hired a new CMO, we hired a new CRO, and I took on the responsibility of strategic initiatives to focus on that potentially create 10x impact for the organization because that's how I think about it. But if I'm in the daily conversation of the comp plan, do we have a booth at this event? Do we have people at the dinner? Do how, however uh, quality of our deals looking? If I'm in all of those, it will totally blow my brain and it won't really help the company get the most out of me. So instead, two years ago, when, when I moved from having almost more than half the company like reporting into these areas to like having zero direct reports. So right now I've literally zero direct reports and, uh, but I feel I'm, I have more influence than I ever did on the direction, on the process and where we are going that allowed me to write book, that allowed me to get out there and speak 30, 40 times a year, create new uh, frameworks that our customers can use. I talk to our customers almost every day, if not every week, three, four times. So I know what the pulse of it. So all these things are possible because I had to like re-look at what am I good at and how I can serve my company first. So I think the question everybody should ask themselves is what would a great blank do? And whatever that is for you, you have to answer. What would a great co-founder do? Go do that. Or what would a great marketing person do? Do that. What would, and, and you would know that. It, it will expose in front of you that what you are good at and what you actually are pretending to be good at at this very moment. And then you have a choice to make. Would you do what a great person would do? Or would you go and do try to keep the job and try to keep your thing going so that as long as possible, because there's pride and ego and all the stuff that we are all made up of, like I have more than anybody else I know. So, but that question distills it and unmasks you, um, as Andy Stanley, one of, the, one of the folks who actually learned this sentence from, would say it unmasks you and you'll have to then make a decision, a choice. Am I the right person now? Regardless of what I did then or what I might do later, and the answer to that question is no, do the right thing, have the conversation. And chances are, if you do have the conversation, you might figure out a different role or a different thing. And the people will be supportive of you and help you in any way of transition. But if you stick around just to stick around, then you'll be kicked around. And that's not a good thing. Thank you, Hats off for you. Uh, this is a really amazing uh, sharing. And I think it was uh, the best uh, Uh, or, or one of the best responses to this second item of world-class leadership and what well, I'm do. glad to do it. just true man it's just real that's all I got and that's why it's a personal story and it's real about being candid and uh, this helps a lot and that that's why we do what we are doing now uh, it helps a lot founders who are thinking about this or even CEOs and other members of the leadership team to help each other to move the company to the next stage and their careers, yeah. their lives, and to be much more fulfilled. Um, yeah, well, let me also add one more thing yeah. to that because it's uh, it's because you're so right. It is a very emotional thing. 
um, to go through that for founders, for teams, especially the founding team and the, the first 15, 20 employees of the company. I look at it and I, I forgot who shared this with me some time ago. They are uh, probably read it somewhere where it says, look at every, like most, like if you think about CEOs of big companies that they bring in, like you know, they, they are on projects. So they look at like, my job is to be the CEO of this company for next two years. And every two years they re-sign the contract or do something. Right. So I, you, as founders, it's really hard to do that. You feel like your legacy, your identity, everything is tied to it. But really when you die, nobody's going to say, Sangram, you were the founder of amazing company. Nobody's going to say that at my funeral. So like we need to strip sure. away from, from that identity crisis that we have and look at it as, a, as like a initiative or a project. Hey, for this year, I'm going to give everything I possibly got for this job that I'm signing up to be a founder or to be an executive and rest and like give yourself the permission to reevaluate if this is good for you next year or the following year, but do your best that year, but don't do saying that, oh, for the next five years, this is what I'm going to do. That's really starting to start to mess with your head and it drives you nuts. Very, very interesting. And, and just on, on the operational uh, part of it, when you, when you took that decision, did you keep attending the weeklies in the leadership? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I am part of like the executive meeting. I'm part of the board meeting, but I'm not part of like the, the, the way or like how are we going to create the comp plan in the territory uh, for territory planning? I'm not in the, uh, oh, okay, we're going to go to this event. And so we need to have a booth. And so you, don't, you don't have a function. You are kind of a solopreneur inside totally. the company. Uh, yeah, but I have become an individual contributor in my yeah. own company to do what I feel I can serve the best. And I believe that that's helping the company more because I'm able to jump in. I have a lot more flexibility as a result of that. I don't have to do 100 one-on-ones that I used to do. And there are people who are smarter and better than me who can do that. I can spend time engaging with customers and really diving deep into like, all right, what is the problem you're trying to solve? Or if you're trying to create a partnership with, uh, like we just created a partnership with LinkedIn. So I spent a crazy amount of time with their LinkedIn leadership team, say, to help them recognize what we do and how we do and do all the things that somebody is going to look at a review of, of me uh, as my, my board would look at it. And they, it, it will be really hard for them to say from a daily activity, I, what I do. But when the partnership happened, that's like a 10x thing for our organization to go. Okay. So I'm okay with that. I'm okay to be evaluated, but not everybody will be okay with that. So you have to figure out like what, like tell the, the Tesla uh, CEO, right? Elon Musk, like he is fine with not making money, but evaluated on the sales and make a billion dollars. And he's okay. But not everybody's going to do that. So I think Absolutely. everybody has a different personality. Absolutely. And something, and we, we move to the to the first critical ingredient, which is this contrarian culture of um, execution and contrarian culture, because uh, sometimes in order to create that category uh, and some, to, to decide the best for the company, we need to face the fear of rejection, the fear of failure, and go to what is right for the company, what is right for the customer, what is right for people, and not for what people expect us to do. Uh, and execution, because uh, we can have a lot of dreams, but if we don't have the rhythms and the rituals in place, the weeklies, the dailies, the monthlies, the quarterlies, and the annuals, nothing gets done, and we don't learn uh, as quickly as possible um, as a team. What are some of the rhythms that were critical to you to, to have everyone on the same page as you were scaling, or as you keep Great, scaling? Great question, great question. So two parts to it. The first part is knowing everybody's superpower is super important. 
and people, I don't think, spend enough time on it. Know what people's superpower, what your superpower is. And the second is everybody got a blind spot. And your job as a leader is to help them, one, recognize that blind spot, but more importantly, guide them and help them to uncover that. That's what you probably do in your coaching sessions with a lot of your CEOs um, that you coach. So the superpower, I think there are only three types of people who work in a work environment. They're either dreamers, the big idea, they wake up with a new mm -hmm. idea every day. You hate them and love them because they're visionaries. <laughs> awesome. I'm one of them. My son is one of them. Um, <laughs> then there are doers who keep this shit running. They make sure that they make the world normal so that you're not worried about calendars not working, product not working, website not crashing. Like you need doers. A company without doer will have all kinds of problems. And then the third one is drivers who are like, all right, when I want to launch a product in the next 10 days, I know I'm going to call Mike. I'm going to call Nancy. Like these are the two people who are drivers, hard charging folks. So knowing who you are and knowing what your team is made up of is super important. So if an organization doesn't have all three of them, then you're going to have a problem. Let's say you don't have a dreamer and all you have is a doer or driver, you might as well be in an accounting department somewhere because there's no vision casting happening. If you have a dreamer and a driver, but not a doer, you, everything is gonna fall uh, apart and you'll be constantly frustrated. And if you have a, a, a driver um, and, and a, um, uh, which one? Oh yeah, the, if, you, if you have the other two, you, I mean, you don't have problems. See, the gap is very, very important. The, and the, the, so the other part of this is like, what's your blind spot? And everyone got one. I have one. Because I'm a dreamer, my blind spot is extreme ownership and focus on a couple of things that can get it, not squirrel, squirrel. If yeah. uh, the other people could have blind spot of like, well, they are drivers are like driving so hard that they need to have empathy for the people around them and help them so you can guide them around that, right? Or if you're a doer, you're so good at what you do, you're authentic kind, but you lack the picture of success, where we are going. So you start building that, helping them understand, like you need to think about why we are doing. So the favorite word for doers is like, help them ask the question, why? The favorite thing for the picture, the, the dreamer is like, well, okay, you have this thing. Now let's get focused. How are we going to do that stuff? Let's think about it. Or the favorite word for driver would be like, all right, you have the focus. You have, you know what you're going to do. Just be kind. Like give permission for yourself to be kind to you. Don't burn out. Don't drive yourself or others crazy. So I think the rhythms that come once you know the superpowers and the blind spots are based on figuring out what the organization actually needs at any given time and putting the right people in the right stuff. So we've tried all kinds. We have done 9 a.m. morning stuff uh, and every morning we meet, um, we like, got rid of that. Then we did like this longer two hour meetings and then they work for a period of time, then it changed. And what I've learned in five years, Mike, quite honestly, is nothing is gonna be constant about that. You will feel great. And after a period of time, you have to change because people are going to change. The scale is going to change. And right now we have a completely different system. That's, that's really amazing. And uh, something that really doesn't help uh, for the CEOs and leadership teams to scale after 5 million error is that they can't keep on a dreaming and freestyle kind of yes. system leadership. So they exactly. need to build the machine, the yes. machine which is scalable, the system, the team. Uh, and 
I think that one of the also transition from individual contributor to manager, manager to leader, is that we are much more dependent and much more servants of our people, uh, because now we get our results not by what we do, but by what we inspire to do. So it's, it's yeah. a, a very different uh, way of uh, putting things. So this is quite amazing. And we come to uh, one of our favorite questions and the last question of the show. Uh, let's see if you can pass this, this one. <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> Which is, if you would have the opportunity to meet Sangram five years ago when you were starting up, on, when he, he, he was starting up, um, Terminus, what advice would you offer to himself? Oh man, so much advice to, to the, the young Sangram. Um, I would say like uh, exercise more um, because I, I felt like that I didn't do that for the first three years. I was so jazzed with everything. It, it, my back and everything got out of shape. Ex, I would say exercise more. Know that it's a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Um, I would really, really, because it's, it's a longer journey. And I would say, just don't take it personally. Um, they got so many rejections when we were going the funding route. There were so many rejections from customers when they churned. Almost like, uh, like it's so many rejections. People will leave you and, and they would not trust you, even though you're trying to do the right thing for them. Um, you sometimes have to hold information back because it's, it will hurt more than good. So all these things that happen as part of any sort of journey is that just don't take it personally. Just do the best you can. And ask this question that I remember that Andy Sandy asking is like, what would a great leader do in your organization? And just try to do that. And if you can, great. And we all would have a scale for it. But that's what you try to do every day. That's amazing. You are definitely a dreamer and one of your superpowers is I energy. Uh, thanks you so much for sharing your time and for making the time to share your experience with our community. Absolutely, Mike. Thank you so much. Our and yours. And to, our, to, to, to you that is there, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we keep here bringing the best of the best so you can scale as quickly as possible from 2 million to 100 million by leveraging their lessons uh, and avoiding their mistakes. We keep here for you. Uh, see you soon and keep scaling.